Before we begin this episode, I would like to take a moment to apologise for my absence due to being at work and for my website being offline. I currently have the worst hosting provider in the world, apparently, which can't do the simplest of tasks, so my websites are down for the meantime. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Since Jurassic Park hit the cinemas in the we all wondered what it would be like to be face-to-face with a real Tyrannosaurus Rex. Not only would it be the best thing in the world, but it could also constitute a large technical accomplishment. Unfortunately, this is an impossible achievement. But let's just forget that last part for this episode of Ramblings with Jay Finnison, and let's believe we have just received the best news in the world, that there's a zoo opening on a Central American island where dinosaurs have been successfully cloned and we can actually go see them for a small fee. I would like to say small fee, but it will be a, like a substantial high fee. It's show business, baby. We're going to make a fortune with this place. With excitement, we all check our bank accounts and see if we can actually go, forgetting the important information that Dr. Ian Malcolm has told us. But deep down, we know that we may get eaten, but that's the occupational hazard of visiting the world's greatest hunters. In this episode, we'll be exploring the possibilities of a real Jurassic Park, the chaos theory, and if dinosaurs could actually eat humans. Well, they don't hunt for sport, so it is possible to go drive past a T-Rex like a lion in a safari. You never know. You never know. They were they're extinct, but let's just have that for this theory that we're going to be talking about. In 2015, a blog surrounding some scientific studies has an article claiming that real dinosaurs could be 10 years away. That means in five years from now, we could have dinosaurs roaming the world again. We just end up buying them at our local KFC. Open quote. Chickens and old birds are carrying much bigger chunks of dinosaur DNA than we are ever likely to find in fossils record, said Dr. Jack Horner, whom is the inspiration for the original Jurassic Park's Alan Grant. Horner struck a paleontological establishment with his work on Masaroa fossils in the 1980s when he published a book detailing their communal behaviours. He has also championed the idea that Tyrannosaurus rex was a scavenger and not a hunter. More recently, at his lab at Montana State University, Horner has been experimenting with bird DNA, altering for more than a decade. And while he has been an advisor to Jurassic Park franchise for years, Horner says that author Michael Cretchen's original idea behind the park, the creation of dinosaurs from intact fossilized DNA is unlikely. Open quote, DNA is an enormous particle made from trillions of pieces held together in a cell nucleus by chemistry. As soon as the cell dies, the chemistry shuts down and this module, which is very fragile, starts to come apart. End quote. Horner states. Talking about Dr. Horner, as I previously stated before, that he was a scientific consultant on Jurassic Park films. Open quote. My job was to help make sure the dinosaurs were accurate as possible. Based on science of 1990, I also worked with Stephen on set with anatomics whilst being shot. 
Open Call. My job was to help make sure the dinosaurs were as accurate as it could be. Based on science of 1990, I also worked with Stephen on set when animatronics was being shot. Stephen would ask about accuracy of particular movements and the actors had questions about punctuations. Stephen also asked that I spent some time with Sam Neill. I also worked a bit on sets and with writer David Colip. I was also present for questions at the outdoor shoot at the dig site. The person I worked closest with was producer Kathy Kennedy. And that was the case for each of the first three movies Horner told, told, told NBC News. Michael Crichton had read my books and based his Alan Grant character loosely on me. And look at the half moon shaped bones on the wrist. It's not one of these guys learn how to fly. And so when Stephen was looking for someone to help be the technical advisor, he called me. Jack Horner's been our scientific dinosaur advisor on all four movies. He does it for real and is your ultimate paleontologist. Jurassic Park changed the face of paleontology. I was studying dinosaur behavior, and I still do, but when Jurassic Park came out, I was able to get a grant, along with one of my graduate students, to attempt to extract DNA from a dinosaur. People would have laughed at us before Jurassic Park came out. So cloning is possible, but not from fossilized DNA. More from a chicken, by the sounds of it. But cloning has been successful in the past. In 1996, Dolly the sheep became the first mammal to be successfully cloned from an adult somatic cell. She was born on the 5th of July 1996 and died from progressive lung disease five months before her seventh birthday on the 14th of February 2003, which is a very sad Valentine's Day for Dolly. It is said that these diseases was not considered related to how Dolly was born. Dolly had three mothers, one provided the egg, another the DNA, and a third carried clone embryo to term. She was created using the technique of somatic cell nuclear transfer, where the cell's nucleus from an adult cell is transferred to an unfertilized egg cell that has had its cell nucleus removed. The hybrid cell is then stimulated to be divided by an electronic shock. And when it develops into a blastocyst, a blastocyst, I cannot speak today, blastocyst, it is implanted in a surrogate mother. Dolly was the first clone produced from a cell taken from an adult mammal. The production of Dolly showed that genes in a nucleus as such as some mature, differentiated symbiotic cells are still capable of renovating to an embryonic topiant state, creating a cell that can go and be developed into a part of an animal. Since then, various other species have been cloned through the same technique as Dolly. But unfortunately, cloning a dinosaur would be an entirely different story since the only living relative to dinosaurs are shitted on our cars. And despite the best efforts, scientists have been able to successfully extract ancient DNA. Dr. Hora has ruined our dreams of having a pet dinosaur due to proving the lack of intact DNA that cloning needs. But an alternative is to genetically modify a chicken to look like a dinosaur's ancestor. Then we could order a dino legend meal for McDonald's. 
Radio, since we have our information on how cloning basically works, I'm not a scientist, so if you want more information on how it all works, I'm sure YouTube is your best choice than a film podcast. Now let's go and talk about Dr. Ian Malcolm's theory. Dr. Malcolm explains that chaos theory basically deals with the unpredictability in complex systems, which basically is a system of compounds that may interact with each other. Life is a lot like a clock. We're all clogs that make it work. And then chaos theorists not come in and tell us if it's either a good idea or a bad idea. Just like Malcolm's explanations before shattering the downfall of Jurassic Park. The biggest chaos theory that is explained in the film is the butterfly effect, which Malcolm demonstrates with an experiment using water droplets. Uh, see the Tyrannosaur... Uh... It uh, doesn't have any set patterns or, or, or park schedules. It's the essence uh, of chaos. Um, I'm still not clear on chaos. Oh, oh, it, 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 it uh, simply uh, deals with uh, predictability in complex systems. The shorthand is the, the butterfly effect. A butterfly can flap its wings in Peking, and in Central Park you get rain instead of sunshine. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and then I go too fast. I, I go too fast. I did a flyby. No, give me, give me that the glass of water. I'll show. We're going to conduct an experiment. It should be still. The car's bouncing up and down, but that's okay. It's just an example. Now, put your hand flat, like a hieroglyphic. Then. Now, let's say a drop of water falls in your hand. Which way is the drop going to roll off? Over which finger, or over the thumb, or the other side? Thumb. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Now freeze your hand. Freeze your hand. Don't move. I'm going to do the same thing. Start with the same, same place again. Which way is going to roll off? Let's say back, same way. Same way, same back. <gasps> change. change. Why? Because tiny variations, uh, the, the orientation of the hairs on your hands. Hey, Alan, look at this. Um, the amount of blood distending your vessels, imperfections in the skin. Imperfections in the skin? Microscopic, microscopic. Uh -huh. And never repeat and vastly affect the outcome. That's what? Unpredictability. All right. There. Look at this. See? See? I'm right again. Nobody could have predicted that Dr. Grant would suddenly, suddenly jump out of a moving vehicle. Alan! Alan! There's uh, another example. <laughs> See? Here I am now by myself uh, uh, talking to myself. That's, that's chaos theory. Come to think about it, there's a lot of butterfly effects in a ton of films regarding go and traveling back in time. A prime example of the butterfly effect taking place in a dinosaur story can be seen in Ray Bad can be seen in Ray Bradbury's nineteen fifty two short story A Sound of Thunder, where the characters travel back in time to hunt a T Rex. They were given strict instructions to follow to prevent changing of the events of the present day. Predictably, they goofed up and the present day is different from when they first left. The effect of the mistake from the story relates to the tiny variations fastly affecting the awful, unpredictable outcome that Malcolm was attempting to explain whilst flirting with Ellie. In Jurassic Park's novel written by Michael Crichton, Malcolm explains, open quote, Chaos theory says two things. First, that complex systems like Reva have an underlying order. Second, the reverse of that, the simple systems can produce complex behavior. For example, pool balls. You hit a pool ball and it starts to come on off the side of the table. In theory, that's a very simple system. Almost a Newtonian system. 
since you can load the force imparted to the ball and the mass of the ball and you can calculate the angles at which it will strike the walls. You can predict the future behavior of the ball in theory. You could predict the behavior of the ball for into the future as it keeps bouncing from side to side. You can predict where it will end up three hours from now in theory. But in fact, it turns out you can't predict more than a few seconds into the future because almost immediately every small effects imperfections in the surface of the ball, tiny indentations in the wood of the table to start to make a difference. It doesn't take long before that overpower your careful calculations. So it turns out that this simple system of pool ball on a table has unpredictable behavior and Hammond's project is yet another apparently simple system animals within a zoo environment that will eventually show, show unpredictable behavior. End quote. The franchise as a whole explains the unpredictability of extinct animals and why it is a bad idea to bring dinosaurs back from the dead. Oh no, we expected that Malcolm was only there to create a love triangle between Alan and Ellie. He was really there in the story as the lawyer's safety net to use his expertise to establish if the park is safe or not to open to the public. Ob- obviously, you, you know that the park isn't safe and everything goes tits up. But it was Malcolm who foreshadowed it, and he was always sceptical on the whole ordeal. You can tell from the, his sarcastic nature and explaining to himself and others who are ignoring him throughout the story. But Malcolm's unpredictability theories are his summary in the explanations of chaos theory. Best way I could explain it is, according to Malcolm, you can take a high complex system and will always like to high levels un- of unpredictability. So if we were going to open a park for dinosaurs to run around in, we wouldn't really need a guy like Malcolm. We just need common sense and what we've learned from the Jurassic Park franchise based on what the film implies. That is Ian's initiative, understanding of chaos theory is the reason why he is the one who knows everything and is right all the time. Boy, my head being right all the time. Well, Ian, you're right due to the plot reasons. So let's become mathematical chaos theorists for a split second. Is that what we call them? You told me this is going to be easy to read. The most common phase in chaotic theories for chaotic systems is that the past predicts the future, but approximate past does not predict the approximate future. Best example is the sensitivity of weather to initial conditions. If your calculations are off even by a tiny bit when predicting the weather, it could have dramatic outcomes to your predictions about future weather, which is why weather forecasts never go beyond a week ahead, and why it's never bloody... uh, which is why it never bloody snows, or when the weatherman says it's going to be sunny, but you walk outside and it's pissing at dune with rain. Fucking typical British weather. It's all examples of chaos theory which we live in within day-to-day life. So even though the British always complain about the weather, we should stop and think their predictions, they're never right. He is just telling us what may or may not happen. So give your local weatherman a break and a round of applause for actually doing a difficult job. I assume it'll be a difficult job. I don't know. I'm not a weatherman, but hey, just a little round of applause for him. Go on. 
Why am I talking about the Weatherman? Well, Dr. Ian Malcolm is basically the Weatherman in Jurassic Park. Anything complicated or unpredictable happens, Malcolm is like, ah, that's chaos for you. The character has a fatalist attitude about complex systems. What chaos theory tells us is if you encounter a chaotic system, you can't measure the present with 100% accuracy, then you can't really predict the future, which is one of the things we learned from Dr. E. Malcolm himself. But the best part of the whole thing is, it's called a theory. And a scientific theory is an explanation of an aspect to the natural world that can be repeatedly tested and verified in accordance with the scientific methods using accepted protocols of observation, measurements, and evaluation of the results, where possible theories are tested under controlled conditions and in an experiment. So let's simplify that. It's a theory. It may be true. It may be right. It's something that's now in place of what we could possibly think is the truth. So chaos theory isn't going to stop us from having our pet dinosaurs. But however, what is stopping us from having a dinosaur is a dietary requirements. Obviously, dinosaurs are cool, but we want bigger, scarier, and cooler dinosaurs. And unfortunately, long-necked dinosaurs and horny boy dinosaurs aren't cool enough. We want teeth. We want something that has the power to rip us apart and eat us, like a Velociraptor or a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Because as humans, we want power over things that can possibly kill us. We need that feeling of power to survive in today's society, as its hidden instinct of all humans have. The first ever instincts as humans were four major questions. And I fuck it. Can I kill it? Can it kill me? Can I eat it? That is what we still have today, deep down in our DNA. And proof of it is our sex drive. Our need for power, hungry to be like, I'm stronger than you, I'm better than you, and our general hunger for food. So it's the possibility of having dinosaurs with big teeth and powerful enough to rip a human apart, like your grandfather on Christmas Day, really empowers us. The dinosaur, not not not, not the fart. Well, it depends on the fart, no. Does anyone else want to feel nostalgic and remember the dinosaur, the t- uh, Vlasworopter, and the pig having a fart in competition? Does anyone else remember that video? Am I just weird? Here's a failure as a sound clip. Before I go on the next part, I just realised um, in my notepad here um, and my script of what it says, proof of it is in our sex drive. I never really like went into it much, but 
I wrote a script a while ago, and I'm trying to, if I remember correctly, right, our sex drive proves our hunger for power. Basically, in the animal kingdom, the one who gets laid is the most powerful. He's the alpha male. And thingy, if I can say correctly. If you look at it, strangely, um, if you're over the age of 18, oh, well, not over the age of 18, if you've left school or if you're in high school, if you're not in high school, like, if you haven't hit high school yet, you should be listening to this, but um, he has a little hint. Um, unfortunately, it's no one gives a shit about you unless you're getting dipped. And that's the best way I can describe it. You know, if you're a male, if you're having sex, well, cool. If you're female, you're having sex, yeah, cool. You're one of the popular kids that have explored their sexualities. And it's basic instinct for all humans. <clears throat> Our instinct is to breed. But we seem to be the only animal, apart from dolphins, that uses sex as a pleasure and to stop being bored. Unlike me, you know, um, stuck here being a forever virgin. <laughs> Dab. Don't know why I'm dabbing. Anyway, where were we? Yes, the next part. If you want a dinosaur that could eat us, the issue is it will eat us. Can it not? If we own a dinosaur that could eat us, the issue is it will possibly eat us, not can it eat us, question mark. <laughs> I pay someone to proofread this, and I think you're doing a lousy job. Yeah, not. you're doing a lousy job. No more creamy boys for you. Human versus animal conflict is nothing new. For years, humans have established their spot on the top of the food chain as dominated creatures, and we destroy fossils, and we destroyed forests and homes of animals just to suit us. It's nothing to be proud of. We're all guilty of supporting it in one form or another. And if you're vegan, thinking, "Oh, not me," get off your high horse. As wanting to make everyone in the whole entire world vegan it will cause more damage than good to the environment. Let people live their lives. Stop being a dictator because a guy digging into a McDino nuggets is nothing to, like, he's doing nothing wrong. He's just trying to enjoy his meal. You know what I mean? Um, I've got a few vegan friends. A lot, a lot of vegan friends are friendly. A lot of my vegan friends are, don't give a shit what I eat. I could be sat here eating a chicken leg right now, man. They'd be like, oh, cool, you're eating a chicken leg. They'd be like, yep, yep, mm -hmm, that's cool. But you, but they are annoyed by, the, by, by you know, the extremist vegans, and everyone else is annoyed by the extremist vegans. So I'm not just having to go at the vegan community as a whole. I'm having to go at those annoying ones that want everyone to be vegan because if you search, do, do the research on that, you're going to kill off a lot, lot, lot of cattle anyway, just to create farms for your soy. I'm just saying, do the research before you start dictating people's lives on what they can or cannot eat. Anyway, where was I? As demonstrated in the Jurassic Park film, the bigger they create, the more they want to demonstrate their place on the food chain. But doesn't it necessarily mean they'll eat us? 
Apex predators like lions and killer whales aren't actively hunting us, nor are we upholding the dietary requirements. So that's a mark to why it's safe to have a pet dinosaur. But since dinosaurs are extinct, we can't say for certain they will eat us or not. But we can look at the relatives, the modern day lizards and birds. Yes, whilst researching this, I spent 20 minutes pissed myself laughing at the idea of throwing chicken seeds on the floor for a floss raptor while he pecks at it like a chicken. I have a simple mind. I know. Lizards have a mentality of eat, of eat to survive. If they can hunt it, then they can eat it. They don't care. And birds have a history of eating primitive humans like a thousand years ago when there were another species of humanoid beings that were very smaller than us today and eagles were fuck off massive kind of thing. They were like a, like a wingspan of a double-decker bus kind of massive. And... Those humanoid beings that were way smaller than us were part of the bird's diet. An example of this, a lot of eagles eat small primates. We humans are from a primate family. So we were on their diet plan as per se. But neither of them are actively hunting humans. And I repeat this, I repeat this again. Neither lizards nor birds are actively hunting humans humans so yes a dinosaur can fuck us up and eat us but we won't be on the menu a lot the same principle goes for when people bring up big cats from a young age going back to my first ever episode of joe exotic <laughs> in their instinct is there but as long as we keep on top of their food needs we can cohabit people doing this with kimono dragons and other lizards that have the same instinct of eat to survive as long as you keep on the food needs, it's fine. The same applies for a dinosaur because it's a big fuck-off lizard bird chicken thing, I guess. I don't value my life enough to think whether or not I'm going to be eaten by a dinosaur. I'll happily own one. And if I get killed and eaten by one, at least I died in a cool and awesome way. Well, that concludes this episode i just basically admitted i'm suicidal and i'll happily get eaten by a dinosaur because it's the best form to be killed because that could be on my gravestone ate by terry the tyrannosaurus rex <laughs> sugar puff sad fur sugar puff sponsor me i was off schedule due to work but because boris johnson has put us under a local lockdown in my area seems like it's going to be a national lockdown soon I'll be able to focus on this podcast again. I I apologize for being like shit, but I've always been shit. I, I've I've been a big pile of shit since since I was born. I'm sure me mom. I'm sure I wasn't born. I'm sure me mom just had a shit, and I was the product of that shit. Anyway, follow my social media. Everything is in the description of this episode and the podcast wherever you're listening to me at. And hello, Amazon Music. I'm officially on Amazon Music and Audible. You know, something to celebrate. Woo! If you listen to me on Apple, please help me get back in the top 100 UK film podcasts by leaving a review. Anyway, I haven't signed off an episode in a... Well, I haven't signed off from an episode in a joke about. And the episode I have in my notes here... Episode? What joke I have in my notes here is what, what was three feet long had two feet long beak and left crumbs all over the mattress. Pretrocosis. 
you know, pretzel, coatless. <sighs> it's a dinosaur joke. 